Hello, everyone, and welcome to our one-night show. Just take a seat. They're always free. This is Every Pod You Cast, a podcast dedicated to the rock band The Police. My name is Justin Mancini. I am one of your co-hosts here. You may know me from the Cinema Joes podcast, and you may also know me from the Pod on the Rooftops podcast, a podcast dedicated to the rock band Genesis, and Podwork Angels The Rush Hour, a podcast dedicated to the rock band Rush. And joining me is one of my co-hosts from Podrick Angels, who also happens to be my brother, Chris Mancini. Hello, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Going pretty well. Great to have you back. This is the second band now that we've discussed together, so it'll be really fun to keep kind of moving along and, and discussing all the bands that you and I grew up listening to, I'm sure, at some point. But also joining us today, he is a music lover. He is a teacher who loves homework and also loves a good close reading. It's Randy Elaine. Hello, Randy. Hey, Justin, thank you so much for inviting me to join you on this podcast experience. Cannot wait to share the results of that homework with you. <laughs> oh, I, I can't wait to hear it. Although It's funny you say that because I was literally just today listening to an album called Homework, not from the police, from another band, Atomic Rooster. But anyway, I digress. Uh, and if you are wondering where maybe two of my other co-hosts who joined me on Pod on the Rooftops and Podwork Angels are, well, I just want to share everyone, we have not had a sort of, you know, police-type fight or anything like that. This is very much just the two of them uh, having other things to do in their lives. I know Luke is, Luke Martin, I should say, is working on Talking the Coda, so kind of getting back into that. And so I, at some point, we will be doing other music podcasts with them. But uh, So I just wanted to reassure everyone that there's no tension there. <laughs> that, uh, I, But I am really excited to be doing this with Chris and Randy. So um, this is the kind of third pod music series that we've done on the popbreak.com. Pod has just always been sort of the pun that we've used for the bands we've discussed. Um, I did want to start by thanking Bill Bodkin, who's the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, and Alex Marcus, who is the podcast director for the site. Thank you for letting us continue to talk about uh, classic rock bands and uh, maybe some other bands in the future. So I did want to say we will be starting by sharing the structure of episodes to come in this series. And the other thing we'll be doing on this episode is we'll be sharing how we discovered the police and what we like about them. So, who are the police? Well, this is a British rock band formed in London in 1977. They would put out five albums in the span of five years. And um, this was a band that was really not together for a long time, especially when you compare them with other bands. Uh, so, this band was together from roughly 1977 to, believe it or not, 1986. That was sort of the official breakup. And they did get to be, uh, back together for a reunion tour from 2007 to 2008. Um, but those five albums pretty much came from 1978 to 1983. And uh, that was it. They have not put out any albums since. There does not appear to be any plans to do so. Um, so this was a band that achieved an incredible amount of popularity in a very short span of time. And I would even dare say, Chris, this might be of the bands that, uh, well, certainly that you and I have discussed, but also I'd add Genesis in there too. This is a band that might have the most mainstream popularity of those three, of Genesis, Rush, and then and The Police. Although, again, it was for a shorter period of time, so it's kind of hard to say. But I would say The Police 
um, could honestly say that they were the biggest band in the world at one time. And I'm not sure if there's any point in Genesis's or Rush's career where that would have been the case. Um, so just to give people a little bit of an idea of, you know, we are talking about something that had a lot more mainstream appeal. But of course, as with any band, there'll be plenty of uh, little nuggets to discuss as well. They certainly um, have a bunch of songs sampled and probably more so than Genesis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so police uh, were made up of three members. That's right. A power trio, just like Rush, although a very different sound, I would say. You had Gordon Sumner on lead vocals, bass guitar, and keyboards. Andy Summers on guitars and keyboards. And then Stuart Copeland on drums, percussion, and occasionally keyboards, especially as they went along. There were a lot more keyboards involved in the band. But guys, uh, before we really get into discussing what we like about the police, how we got into them and all that stuff, I did want to give our listeners just a little bit of a baseline on the three of us in terms of our musical tastes, uh, especially if they have not heard Pod on the Rooftops or Podwork Angels, The Rush Hour. And uh, I want to start with Randy, since uh, this is the first podcast that I've done with you. Uh, it's actually the first episode we've done <laughs> together. I did want to get, you know, for our listeners, for myself, too, although I have some idea, I wanted to get an idea of your musical tastes, uh, the kind of bands that you're into and that sort of thing. Awesome. I think it's probably very appropriate that uh, I was born in the 80s to a couple of parents who were born in the 50s, much like Sting and uh, Stuart Copeland of The Police. Uh, so, you know, I think for that generation, there is this fascination with their past, uh, things from their childhood, things from an earlier generation. Uh, so as a child, I grew up listening to almost exclusively 60s pop and also Motown music was about all my mother would play in the car all the time. Uh, so I knew very little else. I was very sheltered in a lot of ways. Uh, and then when I, when I got up to high school, I was still of the generation where you didn't have a Spotify playlist. Uh, you didn't even necessarily have CDs. You had your go-to radio station. Uh, so we had this local alternative rock station, WBRU. It was phenomenal. May it rest in peace. And just over the course of the late 90s, they turned me into just an expert on 90s grunge and alternative. Uh, that became the world that, that just really meant the most to me. Um, I had some older cousins, you know, who loved to listen to like the Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden. Uh, but I realized I was a little bit more of an alt-rock guy. Uh, the first time I got my hands on a Beck album and I just heard all of the the weird experimental stuff he was doing. You know, I'm sure Beck must be a fan of, of some of some of Andy's Otter tracks on the police records we're going to hear later on uh, where he's taking some really big swings. Uh, so so uh, that was a big part of it. And then I think finally just being impressionable. Uh, you know, I had uh, a girlfriend once upon a time who remains a friend who turned me into a David Bowie fan, uh, which brought me to yet another level and then I think ever since then, it's just been about connecting with people. I've always been a big mix guy, uh, whether that was literally making mixed cassette tapes off the radio. If I'm still friends with you from college, uh, I probably gave you a ton of mixed CDs uh, and we had some back and forths there. But yeah, uh, I think my final influence would be um, I'm a TV and film guy. I absolutely love talking about story. So if you can hit me with a song in your film or television show, I will love it forever. 
Uh, you know, for instance, uh, I watched Russian Doll a few years ago. If you've ever seen the show, it features the song Gotta Get Up by Harry Nilsson uh, over and over and over again, to the point that a normal person would never want to hear this song again for the rest of their lives. Uh, to this day, I listen to that at least twice a week because it just stuck with me and hit me so hard. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a great snapshot of uh, where I am today. I, I really like the idea of like you getting to know like 90s grunge through your cousins. I just think that's really I mean, yeah. Chris and I had mostly younger. I think we only had younger cousins. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so. so unfortunately, that wasn't happening. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, Chris, how about you? What's uh, your musical tastes and uh, your your palate, as it were? Yeah. So mine kind of started out heavily influenced by the songs that I heard growing up, which was my parents playing a lot of classic rock. They owned a lot of cassettes. Well, they owned a lot of albums, I, but I don't recall them ever. Maybe when we were really young playing <laughs> albums uh, or playing records. You mean like you're talking vinyl, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they had some records that they would play, and then it was cassettes, and then it turned to CDs. But regardless of the medium, they were mostly playing classic rock softer stuff too but i would say that was the majority of it and uh even in the 90s into 2000s we were still listening to radio so uh, i was listening to you know whatever the local station <laughs> rock in middle new jersey was i think the hawk that was a philly station right yeah which was yeah. close enough i guess to us and so yeah just listen to a lot of uh, a lot of classic rock, a lot of greatest hits, a lot of, you know, hits on the radio. And then I really started to dig a little bit more into that, into high school iPods. And and uh, there was a period of time where music was way more uh, accessible. And before they kind of killed Napster, there was certainly a lot of music sharing going on. And I was able to listen to a lot more stuff and I started to appreciate some of the lesser known songs. And then I even started to dive into dive outside of classic rock into other forms of rock. I listened to a little bit of metal. I listened to alt rock, some other you know more recent bands without going into too many specifics. Um, I have a pretty wide palette in the rock space, but. I tend to like staying in the rock space, so I really haven't listened to much outside of rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, there's plenty to explore within just the rock space, so you'd be forgiven. But (laughs) um, yeah, I I mean, my like my own um, sort of musical journey is somewhat similar to Chris's. I know that's a shock considering that we grew up together and um, I don't know if we ever mentioned it, but uh, we are twins, although not identical you know, we grew up listening to a lot of the same music. And I actually do, Chris, I do remember listening to some things on vinyl. Like, I think I remember hearing Houses of the Holy. Like, that was the first time I heard it was the vinyl version of it. And actually, I remember listening to Regatta de Blanc, which is an album that we'll be discussing on this podcast, on vinyl. And that was the first time I heard Walking on the Moon. So that was, I don't know, it was almost like this when I think about it, it's almost like this magical experience of like, here's a thing that like you have to play. You can, you can do it only in a certain way though. Like if you do it wrong, it's not going to be right. And just, there is something about that that made it kind of like special and like some sort of like 
magic spell that was being cast or something. It had had to have all the right components just to get it to to work, and then it was magic when it did. Um, but yeah, so I like Chris grew up listening to a lot of classic rock. I think as I got older, I started listening to uh, other classic rock that my <laughs> parents had not heard. You know, I became probably a much bigger Genesis fan. Like I was listening to a lot of stuff just beyond what we had initially. Um, they remain my favorite band. Um, but then as I got older, I started listening, especially when I went to college, I remember listening to more modern rock. So yeah, some of that 90s stuff. Uh, but also I started getting into metal and I would actually say it's now to the point where if you ask me my favorite music genre, it's actually a tie between rock and metal. Um, so that's how much it's kind of meant to me, <laughs> uh, since then. So those are kind of my, I guess those are like, that's like my comfort zone when it comes to music. But I really, as I've gotten older, I really do think my palate has expanded. I've listened to things that I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to some Mongolian throat singing and see how that goes. And, and it's always amazing to me when you can find connections between things that you already know and things that are completely, you know, at least for a moment, alien to you and see that, oh, there are these like connections that you can find. And, and all of it is, you know, it's all part of the same fabric, the same tapestry. Um, I always find that fascinating. So I have listened to things like show tunes and opera and hip hop. And I can't say I have the kind of grounding in any of those genres that I have with rock and metal. But I do want to stress that when it comes to music, I try to be as open minded as I can. You know, and I don't think there's any one genre that is, despite the fact that I might be into rock and metal as like my comfort zone, I don't think those are the best. Those just happen to be, be the ones that I'm most comfortable with, at least right now. Um, so I do want to stress that. And it also has just helped me, you know, be a lot more open minded about, rock, you know, just normal rock artists that I like, too. Except I will say the jury's still out on polka. I, I, I don't. But maybe I just haven't heard enough, uh, you know, stuff apart from I do like the Weird Al polka that that I'm a fan of. Um, I was going to anyway. say Weird Al, if you're listening, <laughs> does not speak for all of us. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, I, that is an exception. That That's my that is my exception. So, yeah, so that's where I'm at. Yeah. So that kind of gives listeners just kind of an idea of what uh, you'll be. Here. Maybe you'll hear a little bit about this as we talk more about the police specifically. Um, so how this uh, series is going to work going forward. We are going to focus each episode will be devoted to one album. So basically there's going to be five episodes, which is far fewer than, <laughs> than Podrick angels on each episode. We will have discussion of the album in general, but then we'll have individual categories to be able to talk about uh, specific songs on that album and the categories, uh, which you may recognize at least conceptually from the other podcasts that we've done we first have i love you since i knew you this is a song that we think is either underrated or overlooked or maybe it's just one that we like a lot and want to talk about we also have our king of pain this is kind of the opposite extreme this is a song maybe we don't like as much and i think uh just like we found with rush it's proof that even things that we love uh, are not perfect. There are things that, you know, maybe don't work as well. And we've even like stretched this category in the past to be instead of just if you can't find a song they like, maybe part of a song that you don't like. That's kind of how we've been been approaching that. Then we have our do 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 do's and our da 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 da's. This is our favorite lyric from that album or a favorite lyric from that album. 
And then we have a little thing they did was magic. This is a favorite musical moment from the album, um, which is always, I find, one of the tougher ones to for me to sort of narrow down because there's so many that I end up wanting to talk about. And last but not least, we actually close, and we did this on Podwork Angels, but we're going to close by talking about an artist apart from the police that we've been listening to. So this just will give, hopefully, our listeners, but also us, an opportunity um, to explore some other artists and maybe even some other genres beyond rock um, to show that, you know, we do, in fact, have very eclectic taste. So, guys, now that we've gotten all that stuff out of the way, we're kind of get, get, getting right now into the meat of the episode, I guess you could say. We're going to talk about how we first discovered the police. And I even wanted to maybe ex- expand this this question just in terms of your familiarity with Sting as as a presence. You know, I'm certainly going to get into that when I start uh, discussing my experience. But Chris, for you, how did you first discover the police specifically? And then, you know, maybe if you want to talk about any of, of your familiarity with Sting in general, um, you can get into that as well. Well, according to you, I guess listening to Regatta de Blanc on vinyl, I certainly don't remember that. Your your memory is way better than mine, so I will certainly take your word for it. But I would say just generally hearing from them from my parents from the radio what i remember most is the the greatest hits album they had on cd and listening to that and then uh yeah definitely from the radio just hearing the hits there i think my early introduction uh my dad has said the police is just one of the bands where they really have a sound that just makes you happy and i think that's really what appealed to my dad and i would certainly agree with that especially on a lot of the songs maybe certain songs more than others <laughs> but sure. um yeah i mean naturally they have that interesting reggae sound that i'll talk a bit more about and why i like them but certainly a style that is generally like more like upbeat and you really felt it from the style they had and the way sting sang his songs or gordon sumner which uh Took me a while to remember that since I've always just known him as Sting. But even exposure to Sting in my childhood, I'm sure you'll talk about this, Justin, but one of our favorite or at least one of my favorite things that we watched was there was a special and I don't remember what station it was on, maybe PBS or something like that. But they aired a a special of rendition of Peter and the Wolf. And I forget the subtitle of it, like a Proca. Prokofiev fantasy or something like that. Prokofiev, the uh, the composer. Sorry, I need to <laughs> my Russian. Uh, Russian but uh, yeah, so they used um, Sting as kind of the narrator of the story for a while, like that puppet, uh, and they used puppets, by the way. <laughs> and that yeah. pu- puppet version of Sting uh, really does lend credit to what Sting looks like. And so for a while, my perception of him was a puppet from that show, uh, even before uh, thinking of him with, you know, dyed blonde hair. From an early age, you know, I was aware of Sting. Uh, The other thing is my parents had albums of Sting's solo career. uh, So I got to listen to a bunch of Sting in his his solo albums, you know, after, after the police. And then... Really didn't get into the studio albums for The Police and 
picking up some of the lesser known songs until high school when you know I was exploring more from bands and I would say a lot of the stuff I heard just further enhanced my the liking to the band maybe partially to you know counter to what everyone else's favorite songs were I tend to like songs that maybe are lesser known or there's something specific that I like about them and don't get me wrong I like the hits but maybe it's something where you hear them a lot and then when you hear something new and, and different you tend to gravitate towards that so yeah so that was kind of how I was introduced to the band and I have uh, all their albums on my phone and uh, I still listen to them on a regular basis clearly a band that I enjoy it and still listen to to this day. I think it's interesting that you bring up like the some of the lesser known songs, um, because that's something that, you know, especially I, I did feel like when I had my own journey of like I kind of knew the hits and then I was like listening to the albums and like, oh, there's like this song and this other song and this other one. Like, wow, I didn't know that. And it's just it's really fascinating, like when you actually at least for me, like when I sit down and like decide to listen to everything from a band, which you know, can take some patience, but also like is usually very rewarding. So I'll say for me, it was pretty similar to to Chris in terms of how I got into uh, the band. I certainly remember being aware of Sting both as a musician, like a solo musician, and I would say as a pop culture presence before I really even knew who the police were. Television special that Chris mentioned absolutely was, I think, a reason for that. <laughs> and I did want to mention the puppets on that were done by a company called Spitting Image, these puppets, this is the same company that did the puppets for the Land of Confusion video, music video for Genesis, which the, this was this was a bit after that. Uh, the television special was after the uh, Land of Confusion video. Um, but if you haven't seen what these puppets look like, I would say they are caricatures of famous people, almost like bordering on the grotesque. It is very specific and you know it's not going to be for everybody it's very it was very much for me and still very much is <laughs> for me that's just really kind of a fascinating thing so you know and maybe it was sting sort of you know background as a teacher that that also felt made it very appropriate that he was the narrator of peter and the wolf but i remember hearing 10 summoners tales that was the album i remember hearing a lot as a kid in fact i feel like it's one of the first albums i just remember hearing in general in my life so it certainly was very formative for me but it only was later where i became aware of oh sting was in this band called the police and like that was how he got his start and i was like wait he was in a band a similar experience i had when i realized like phil collins started in a band before he was just phil collins as a solo artist um, so it was almost like, OK, there was this other thing. I, d I had no idea that was a thing. I got into them and was like really into a lot of the hits. You know, I remember hearing Roxanne and Message in a Bottle, Don't Stand So Close to Me, like all the things that honestly, a lot of them are on that greatest hits that Chris mentioned. So I remember hearing that and that was kind of when I started listening to that stuff more regularly um, and really getting familiar with it. I would say it really wasn't until college when I started listening to the albums themselves. And that was when I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot more here than I uh, than I realized. And I remember to like listening to each album and then like about I would say like four years ago now. So it was before. Yeah, it was before the pandemic. Um, I decided to like listen to them all again. 
And that was when I realized, like, oh, this band's, like, fantastic, and there's not a lot of bad songs on here. Like, you know, it's five pretty solid albums, and that, like, really impressed me to be like, wow, these guys have a really impressive catalog. They were not one-trick ponies by any means. But, yeah, so that's kind of been my my journey for for the police i would say it's been you know decades in the making i guess but i'm interested to hear from you randy because i know for you it's not that you weren't familiar with the police before we asked you to be a part of this podcast but it may have been more recent where you've really become like a fan of them so so what was your what's your experience with uh, the police and sting more generally yeah, so my origin story here, I'm going to hit you with two names, uh, Roxanne and Sting. I mean, first of all, just Roxanne is just, it's this unstoppable force. I don't know if there's a musical taste that exists that would, like, prevent you from enjoying this song. I, I don't know how to articulate exactly what it is about Roxanne that works. Um, I asked my buddy Colin, who's a guitarist, and uh, the way he phrased it was, the guitar hook to Roxanne is just slick and cool, uh, was the way he described it. And then just Sting has such a unique voice. The pitches he's hitting in that song, like the energy, the the passion, you know, you've got you've got some of that soft reggae underneath it. But like there's so many different music styles happening. I never heard anything like it. And wherever I would turn there, it was like. Uh, in high school, I had some friends who really loved the movie Moulin Rouge, and they've got a take on it in there. You know, yes, uh, Remedial Chaos Theory, the most famous episode probably of the television show Community, you know, famously features the cast singing Roxanne together uh, at the very end of the episode. So it's just anywhere and everywhere you look. Uh, you know, even as I was getting to know uh, my wife, and we you know, spent a lot of time going to hockey games because she is such a huge hockey fan. Uh, and at our local AHL affiliate over in Providence there, every time the home team gives up a goal, that little red siren goes on at the hockey game. And uh, they always queue up Roxanne. You don't have to put on the red light. So it's just kind of oh, always been there in the background. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think for most of my life, it was like Roxanne. I kind of knew Message in a Bottle. Every little thing she does is magic. And, and I think everything beyond that was was kind of a blur for the longest time. You know, when I when I was telling my wife about my strong feelings about the song Don't Stand So Close to Me, which I'll, I'll save I'll save that whole can of worms for when we get to that album. But uh, she's like, oh, the, the song that they play on Friends when uh, Joey is in the, the VD ad all around town. And I was like, what? And yeah, sure enough, there it is. Uh, in Friends, and that brings me to Sting, uh, a, a constant uh, point of conversation on the television show Friends. But yeah, he's he's just everywhere. Um, the one that stands out the most to me is probably also the most recent one. He had this this phenomenal turn on Only Murders in the Building recently. But yeah, he he's a force. It, it, he creates almost a vacuum around himself. Even a few months ago, if someone had tried to convince me that like, oh, yeah, like the police and Sting, they're, they're still together. That's just his backup band. And they dropped the police from the title. Like you probably could have convinced me that that was true, uh, you know, because he's there. Um, you know, even when they did that 2007 reunion tour, I was watching this documentary 
Uh, and they're doing this little farewell interview emceed by Elvis Costello. And they brought out Sting for a full segment before they would even invite Stuart and Andy on stage. And it, wow. you start to understand where the tension uh, can come from. But yeah, you know, since then, like I said, uh, I've been expressing my love for homework since we started recording tonight. Um, I, I've been listening to the songs on repeat. Uh, I've been watching some of these documentaries and things. And I think what I do respect about these guys, and we're going to be unpacking the pros and cons of their relationship over time, uh, is that I found these. I'm not going to read the full quotes to you, but I've got two like almost word for word quotes, one from Sting, uh, one from Stuart Copeland. Uh, and they're both trying to be their most diplomatic, expressing what was unique about this band. Uh, and they just both emphasize, like, listen, we were not three kids from the same neighborhood. We didn't grow up with the same experiences, but it meant that we brought these really different sounds and we all brought this really different passion. Um, and, you know, they both kind of cite that, that that's part of what worked about the police, even if it's maybe also part of what tore them apart. And that dynamic uh, like intellectually really excites me. I'm really excited to dig into that as we go deeper into this. So yeah, that that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, we definitely will be getting into that. That has been really fascinating. And, and like you, I've kind of been doing some homework. I've been watching a lot more like documentary type stuff. I watched the behind the music, uh, recently, which uh, really they always love they love tension on that program. Like <laughs> they really they show a lot of it um, uh, when it comes to this band. But anyway, so, yeah, let's uh, let's talk now about what we do really like about them. And maybe I'll start this time just with, you know, having been a fan of this band for quite a while. For me, there's so many reasons and I couldn't possibly name them all, you know, like with the other two bands I've discussed, Genesis and Rush, I could fill a whole book with it but i'll say one thing that really jumps out to me is just how eclectic this band is i think you know certainly the reggae sound like you mentioned chris a huge part of of this band but but not just that right like you could have something like next to you which is a much more punk inspired number you could have stuff on like on synchronicity that is almost more like i don't even know what to call it more like atmospheric sort of ambient type stuff like you know brian eno-esque you know sort of experimentation this is just a band that didn't seem content to rest on its laurels and again for only five albums that's pretty impressive just the breadth of different genres that they seemed interested in that they would incorporate jazz rock folk it just it seemed like this was a band that really didn't have boundaries like there was it was all about exploring different things um and you know the irony being that for Sting, it still wasn't enough that he he had to go beyond this band to explore other things, too. But I just think it is impressive, like the breadth of different genres that they were able to cover in a very short amount of time and still be popular and still be accessible at the same time. Like, that's pretty impressive to me. I also want to mention that I, I mentioned before uh, my experience is there's really not a lot of bad in the police catalog because there's only five albums. So I think that's a real strength of theirs. Um, I also think that just because it's five albums, there wasn't really a chance for them to grow stale. You know, I've been listening to some other bands recently, like, and you can kind of tell when things are starting to peter out, like, especially if they've been together for a while. And you're kind of like, all right, I guess I'll listen to these albums. Maybe I'll find some good on them. But man, I miss those early days. 
And the police didn't really have the time. Like, they just, again, weren't together for long enough for that to really happen. And I believe Sting has even talked in interviews about how he was very conscious of that, that they could have kept going and maybe been miserable, but made a lot of money, but not been especially happy making the music that they were making. Um, So I think that's really that's a really fascinating aspect of the band. And last but not least, the other thing I'll mention is that uh, I love that they're a power trio. And and I'm so glad, Randy, that you talked about how they all were bringing different things, because I do think that is something that makes them so distinct. It's what makes the police, to me, distinctive from Sting's solo career. You know, I can't remember. Granted, I'm not as well versed in Sting's solo career as I am with the police, but I, I, there's not a ton of drummers on a solo career that sound like Stuart Copeland. There's not a lot of guitarists that sound like Andy Summers. Um, and the fact that they were bringing things that were so distinct from one another. If you just look at a photo of the three of them, and I know that's not the same thing as music, but just I think it's a good sort of microcosm of them. They all look very different from one another. It's kind of honestly, I look at them I'm like these three guys formed a band together. Really? Like they didn't just happen to be in the same place at the, you know, at, at the same time and like, you know, kind of said hi and then went on their way uh, to their respective bands. Like, I just love that these three guys made a band together. Very different sensibilities in some way. I didn't mention before Stuart Copeland is the lone American member of the band. So there's even a little bit of a, a, a different and also had been in a family that had moved around a lot. He'd lived in a lot of different places all over the world. Um, so he was bringing a very different experience from someone like Sting, who'd pretty much grown up in Newcastle and might have been in Newcastle for you know, for the rest of his days if he hadn't, you know, discovered uh, if he hadn't been found by Stuart Copeland. But you can sense that in the music, too. Like each each part is kind of distinctive from one another. There's there's a sense of tension in the music itself, which is really interesting to listen to. And despite the fact that, yes, Sting was the primary songwriter for The Police and he was the one sort of coming up with the initial conceptions, I really do think the other members put their stamp on it and in some cases, like, really did add something new that hadn't been there before. So it's just really it's a really interesting. There's not many bands I can think of that are like The Police in that way, where it really feels like three different guys kind of (laughs) kind of coming together and and maybe clashing, but also like finding some weird, like when they found a groove, it was like something you hadn't heard before. Dissonant and harmonious at the same time. And I just find that really fascinating. And and yeah, it's just something I can't think of many bands that have that sort of dynamic um, in the music. And I think it does help with only being three members that you can really sense that. You can really sense the individual members, I think, that much more. So. So, yeah, those are just a few of the reasons for me uh, why I like them. But, Randy, how about for you? What uh, what are the things that stand out to you about why The Police uh, is a band that you love? Sure. So so just apart from all those dynamics I want to unpack, I'm going to echo what you have to say about how eclectic these guys are. Um, you know, as, as I got to know them more and more album by album, I started to feel guilty that I knew so little um, about Stuart and so little, you know, about Andy and when I, when I hear those different influences coming in, uh, you know, like I didn't realize that Andy was like almost 10 years older than these guys when they started the band. Like he had been out there, he had been like gigging in these ensemble bands. He had had a little failed experiment with like a psychedelic 
you know, like let's paint all of our equipment white and then project multicolored lights onto our instruments type band. You know, he was at least rumored as a potential replacement guitarist in the Rolling Stones at one point. He like he had all these chops and then he's like from his perspective going in to hang with these kids. And then, you know, and then Stuart, you know, he's got like he's the guy that brought it all together. He had that whole weird side gig with the Clark Kent alter ego uh, where he actually gets this one. Have you heard any of these Clark Kent songs? I've I've heard of like as you're talking about it, I feel like a memory is starting <laughs> to is coming back to me, but I can't remember the specifics. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Stewart is hiding his identity. He's released this single as Clark Kent. It made it onto some like radio playlist. It's this like little mini phenomenon. He makes it on top of the pops. And this is as the police are kind of coming together. Uh, so Stewart loves to brag that Sting's first televised, first televised performance was on top of the pops, backing up Stuart Copeland as Clark Kent wearing a gorilla mask. Because uh, that was part of the shtick of the band was everyone was a masked musician. Um, but yeah, like as I go through the albums, like like the most new wavy kind of stuff, you know, those are almost always the tracks that Stewart wrote. And every once in a while, the police channel like like sometimes they really remind me of the Who in certain moments, um, especially when they really let Andy go. Um, I have a couple tracks in particular I'll get to at a later point. Um, you know, you get to a track like Invisible Sun later on and it, it fires up and it sounds like a Pixies song. You know, that's another one of my favorite bands. Like so like you can just see their fingerprints like all over like the past and the future of where music was going. So, yeah, they're, that that's what has gotten me so excited about them. And that's why when I met you guys, you know, five or six weeks ago, I liked the police, what I knew of them. And, and now I would fully call myself a fan. Awesome. And just in time for the podcast. So that's that's great. <laughs> no, I was it's funny because I I did know going into this that maybe at least at the time that maybe you weren't as familiar with the police as as Chris and myself. But I also knew that, you know, you would go in with open mind. I knew that, you know, you had a, you would be able to you'd have a lot of insight into them, even if you weren't as big a fan. But I'm extremely happy to hear that you are. <laughs> so um, so thank you for that. And uh, Chris, we'll go to you next. Uh, what are the reasons why you love the police? Yeah, so without using the term <laughs> eclectic <laughs> a third time, I'll, I'll say distinctive. I think you see it in multiple facets. So obviously, very unique style that even over the span of five years adapted quite a lot. They were quite experimental despite the heavy influences of of a pop uh in them but you know certainly in the earlier years you you felt a lot of the punk uh and then you know reggae was kind of throughout um the five albums but in different ways and yeah it did feel like they got very like experimental especially on like later albums so it's quite impressive that they could still maintain the sound of the police and go in so many different directions and still do well on all five albums so and, and definitely like the reggae piece of it to me is what makes it so distinctive for me like i understand like you have white artists bringing in you know reggae to the masses at the same time like it's not like they had a monopoly on it and other people couldn't you know 
leverage it or or use it uh, like they you know obviously had uh, a way of implementing it that resounded with people and potentially got people to expand into that genre that wouldn't have otherwise so despite that i give them a lot of credit for taking that style and making it their own and then very talented musicianship wise and i feel like um they their sound uh really is unique uh and it's one of those things where like you hear staying singing or you hear you know you hear andy summers on guitar or you hear Stuart copeland playing drums and they're very very distinctive i would say through listening more and more um hearing like sting's bass playing definitely feel like it's underappreciated or at least it was underappreciated for me uh i didn't necessarily have you know growing up i didn't immediately pick out like the bass i was always listening growing up i was heavily focused on the singing and the guitar but like going back and you know, bumping up some of the the mixing and being able to hear more of the bass. It's definitely not something that Thing had just on the side. Like he had clearly had some skills there and something that was heavily influenced by the type of music they were playing and therefore kind of gave it that unique style. I am by no means uh, super familiar with different styles, but I was trying to look into like what made their sound sounds so distinct. Uh, and one of the things I found was with Summers playing, you know, his trademark guitar sound, I think it's twofold. I think it's kind of the way he played and how, you know, in reggae, you're often playing on the downbeats. So that gives it kind of a unique uh, feel to it. And then the other portion I found is that, like, he used a, a chorus effect that kind of made kind of like, I don't know, like, exactly how that works, but it was something that kind of stood out from like the rest of the other guitar playing that you were hearing at the time. And then on drums, uh, I found out like Copeland, despite being left-handed, played on a right-handed drum kit, which I think naturally like, yeah, you're going to be forced to like, you know, you're a left-hander in the right-hander's world. (laughs) So it made sense that he got forced into that. But I think that led to kind of some of the unique ways that he played. He's heavily influenced by jazz and reggae. So um no surprise that you know he would have a very unique style uh from other drummers at the time and then finally i'll touch on their song lyrics and themes i think they are very distinctive in that they kind of run the gambit you have songs talking about prostitutes about sex dolls (laughs) but then you have songs talking about like really important social issues that that sting really found important and that i think really shined a light on things for people who you know may not be in the know on certain things and a lot of unique themes that not a lot of other bands are talking about they certainly had their share of love songs but uh similar to rush i appreciate them talking about a lot of different a lot of different themes and it made me you know more interested in the songs of like oh what's this book by Navikov? So, uh, yeah, I appreciate their their different interests and, in, you know, what they wanted to share. And I realized Sting was heavily uh, a part of that. But, yeah, I, I think there's also a lot of interesting um, themes that changed throughout the course of their uh, career. 
Yeah, there's, and there's so many things I want to respond to, Chris, that you that you mentioned. I like that you did spotlight like each of the individual members, um, because there's so much to say about each of them. I we'll probably get into this more when we get into like the early history uh, before they swarmed the police. It makes sense what you're talking about with the bass and what he was willing to do with it. He was coming from playing in jazz bands like the Phoenix Jazzmen and the Newcastle Big Band. At the time when he joined the police, he was playing with a band called Last Exit, which was kind of a jazz fusion band. So he'd really like that was kind of what he had been doing and and coming into this project, which was, you know, incorporating aspects of that, but not the same by any means. I just think that's, again, it's adding this of this element that was distinctly him to this stew <laughs> of, of other things that are there. You know, Stuart Copeland. Yeah. And and what you mentioned about uh, I did also want to mention that Stuart, in addition to the way that the distinctive way that you mentioned he was playing, he also, unlike a lot of drummers, especially as punk was being a thing, uh, he played in a traditional grip. And I don't believe I have to look. I don't I don't remember ever seeing him play in a match grip, you know, which uh, for those I guess we've talked about this on another. <laughs> I've talked about this on a different podcast, I guess. But for those who don't know, traditional grip, you have one hand that's sort of underhanded. And it was kind of devised uh, like with marching drums. And it's very much the style that was used by jazz drummers as, you know, that sort of became a thing. But as rock became a thing, you had more people playing kind of like overhand with both hands. Um, And that's called the match grip. So I just think it's fascinating that Stewart very much wanted to focus on the traditional grip. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to jump in on the the Stuart Copeland drums. Uh, I was just listening to him on uh, the In Defense of Ska podcast. And uh, he was talking about how he had to get his splash symbol from a toy store. And like that's what he was playing on police albums, uh, which was just, you know, wow. I, I, yeah, I'm not a musician, so I'd never really thought about that. And and he was going on and on about this one particular snare drum he had, and he could not find a drum that replicated the sound. And once they got big enough, he had some like Japanese drum manufacturer like trying to rebuild it like reverse engineer it and they eventually got one that he was satisfied with um but yeah like it's such an it's such an art form for him and uh just just really fascinating stuff you know he's got some great stories so yeah he definitely was a talker that's for sure um but you know i think uh definitely gave us some rewarding stories in the process um so guys i know we're kind of like sort of winding down here but i did We've sort of alluded to it, but one thing that this band was infamous for, in addition to the great music that they made, was uh, the tension in the band, which uh, seemed pretty constant. And in fact, compared with bands that we've dis- that I've discussed, like Genesis and Rush especially, this was a time where like it really wasn't just about creative differences. This was this could get personal. You know, there was a familiarity that the band members sort of developed. Uh, which maybe made them more comfortable in in being, you know, sort of more uh, combative with one another. You know, there were things like, you know, things could evolve into fistfights. Um, there's a lot of footage uh, of the band, uh, which was something that the band's manager, Miles Copeland, Stewart's older brother, was very, very much wanted from the beginning, was making sure that there was this coverage of the band as, as like a personality in addition to, you know, the music that they were making. And, uh, and you see that and, um, you know, it doesn't it's it seems to mostly be between Sting and Stewart. 
the band had started as Stewart's sort of baby and Sting had joined. It was not Sting's band from the beginning. It was not Sting who came up with the name of the band. <laughs> um, so you could see that. And, and, you know, I think especially as you look at, as you saw the band sort of evolve and get get more popularity was becoming clearer and clearer to the band members that sting was probably the draw um and you know being the primary songwriter but more precisely being the real presence in the front man of the band i've watched now a lot of footage of the band performing in concert and that's also fascinating because each person has their own thing like they're not all sort of operating on the same sort of with the same energy but that's not a, and that's not a bad thing, but they do look like they're almost like in their own different worlds, which I find really fascinating. Sting it just has this amazing energy. His energy seems boundless and quite a bit of bounding, I guess, <laughs> usually. Then you've got Andy, who's very focused on his guitar, getting everything right, um, which is such such a like he's very inwardly focused and Sting is very outwardly focused. And then you have Stuart in the background who looks like he's trying to do everything he can to destroy his drum set. So just like a lot of a lot of very conflicting energy there. And yeah, it did lead to tension. They had a lot of disagreements about certain songs, especially as again, as Sting became sort of more the prominent person within the band. He became sort of what was the band's draw. And yeah, so there's stuff that, you know, these guys did they talk about. And I just kind of like, all right, um, that's a little dis, you know, to me, it's a little disappointing, maybe just as someone who, you know, abhors violence. Like, I don't like seeing people that I like getting into fistfights, especially over music. But, you know, I also recognize that these are very different people from me <laughs> and that, um, you know, there it was uh, they were coming from very different places and, you know, had a lot of strong feelings, to be honest. So I guess I wanted to hear from you guys how you feel about that. How do you feel about it? And how do you think it do you think that it fuels the music? Do you think we would have gotten this band and the stuff that they gave us without that tension? I know that's those are kind of big questions, but Chris, for you, how do you feel about all that tension in the band again in a pretty short amount of time? Yeah, I mean, I I've looked a little bit into it, but I can't say I'm like super familiar with it. I mean, obviously, like, um, you know, you have egos. Uh, that can play a factor into things. I think, um, as you alluded to, like, this isn't a band that formed, like, you know, in the neighborhood, like, three kids growing up together that formed a band. Like, they came from very different backgrounds. I think they briefly had another guitarist that they were with before even the first album. Henri Padovani. Yeah. Talk about, like, hey... If Andy Summers was going to come in, he'd need to be the guy and essentially force out the other guitarist. So that kind of gives you an idea of, hey, these are people who like they have they're obviously skilled, but they certainly have expectations for themselves and, um, you know, are high performers and expect uh, a lot from their bandmates. And I think, you know, that can spark innovation and that can spark creativity. But I think, you know, you, you need some sort of balance in there. And I think it's fine to understand, like, hey, not every not every band is going to work out, you know, long term. I realize it's only five years, but like they also went from like being nobodies to being like one of the most recognized bands. And, you know, that can definitely age a band. And when you go from no success to 
high success, like that certainly strokes your ego. <laughs> so it was something for them to understand, like, while we have all this success, like, there are clearly things that we're vastly differing on. That's enough to say, like, maybe it's best to, you know, explore other options because we recognize we're going to be different people and we're going to want to take things different directions. So recognizing that things aren't going to work out and not just saying let's stick around to and make it work i'm sure like forming a band i want to relate it to like marriage or something <laughs> but like you know they got married young and uh before they really like you know fully knew themselves and how they'd be together and it's hard enough to marry one person but you're marrying to other people you know you're living together you're with each other constantly and you know until you moved in together and understood like what that means and you know if you're vastly different people like that's gonna uh you know create problems and you know sometimes even though you can do great things together sometimes uh understanding when to uh you know break up and do your own journey is is what's best for the kids. Yes, and for the actual marriages, as the police would, well, especially Andy Summers would learn. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the marriage thing, Chris, because, you know, I've heard that term used a lot with different artists talking about, like, becoming members of a band or, you know, forming in the first place. And you're right, like, you do spend a lot of time together. That's something you can really see in, you know, in a lot of those uh, fist fights that I mentioned. You could see that, like, wow, these guys have just been together and probably been getting on each other's nerves for quite a while. <laughs> but how about for you, Randy? How, you know, how do you sort of reckon with the um, tension and occasional violence <laughs> in this band? Okay, well, like, listen, it's it's both distressing and part of why I'm a fan now, because it's been like, it's been such a saga I did not realize I was walking into. Um, like, like a lot of my insight is coming from that Andy Summers documentary I watched recently. I, I mentioned earlier, like, there's that farewell interview with Elvis Costello at the end of the reunion tour. And, you know, it's it's cut by Andy. So, you know, we're, we're seeing it through his eyes. We, we can take it with a grain of salt. But he's got footage of himself and Stuart, like in the green room, waiting to come out, listening to Sting tell Elvis Costello, like, oh, yeah, this is it. Like, we're done. And uh, they finally get invited back out. And Stuart opens with a joke sting he's like oh yeah you're fired sting and it's not like a laughing joke sting is pissed off like you can see his face like he just gives this deadly stare and yeah you know there, there's a limit to those egos the stuff between sting and andy really blew my mind too like like the two things are uh you know andy won a grammy for behind my camel i think i believe it's the i believe the so yes yep and apparently sting was so desperately opposed to this being on the album i believe you know he did not participate and he actually hid the tapes in the garden outside the studio oh my god and he had to find them i, I was a little bit unclear if he just kind of like put them behind a plant or if he like actually dug a hole in the ground to hide these tapes it's wild and then uh on that reunion tour I'll stop here because there are like a million other stories, but this is the one that I can't shake. It's going to be in my nightmares. So it's 2007. Andy shows up for the rehearsal before a big show. I forget which stadium they're at, but, you know, there's no crowd yet. You know, we, should, we see Andy walking up onto stage and Sting immediately wants to change the key of one of the songs. 
and it's it's almost a fight. Andy's like, well, why? It's fine the way it is. But like, you know, because I, I like Andy, but he is also an asshole. And I see him calm himself down. He's like, okay, no, like w- with your voice and, and whatever. Like, yeah, okay. And he's like, yeah, I'll try it. And I'm like, okay, good for good for you, Andy. Like, we can compromise here. So Andy's got his, his guitar, and he's a short guy. And Sting has some taller guy energy, uh, which I'm sensitive to. So as Andy is trying to just, like, swallow his pride, try out the song in the new key, Sting, like, leans over to him, stares at him in the face, and he says, you've got, like, a six-foot-long fucking nose hair sticking out of your nose. And he proceeds to start plucking at Andy's nose while he is playing the song in the new key. And I was just like, oh, my God. And, uh, like, yeah, like, just all the footage of interviews where Sting is, like, pushing Andy. And, like, again, he cut this documentary together. But, like, almost all these interviews end with just Andy with a thousand-yard stare looking off into the distance. You know, like, like one of them that stands out that you might have seen, too, Justin, is, like, it's, like, an early MTV interview. And Sting and Stuart, like, literally start hitting each other and knock a bunch of watermelon off a table. And then Andy's yep. just, like, left sitting there, like, the, the slightly older man staring off so the the drama of it is is both appealing and, and horribly disturbing like that, <laughs> that that story blew my mind uh but yeah I, i'm glad they somehow managed to create something beautiful and i don't know uh to, like even recently andy keeps threatening to sue sting over uh i'll be missing you because he wrote that oh. guitar piece which is the only part sampled in the puff daddy song and he gets exactly zero dollars for that song and uh, yeah, so that continues to be a point of contention as well. So yeah, this this has gone on uh, <laughs> through many phases, I suppose. Yeah, it really. Ha- I mean, that's the thing that blew my mind was like you think like okay, they weren't super young when they were together, but like they were younger. You know, yeah. they, when they get back together in 2007, like it'll all be fine. It'll all be water on the bridge. And uh, they said no. It was like the tensions came back pretty much right out of the gate. <laughs> And, you know, and at the same time, I will also say we're talking about a lot of the disagreements and, you know, and and disputes between them. But I know Sting said after that tour that they did that he felt like he did have some he had closure on the band finally, which he had not had up to that point. And also, like, there's an interview where Stewart's talking about, you know, I'll be playing drums. You know, so I played with a lot of different people. Like, he was playing with, like, ballets. <laughs> you know, like, he's composed music for various plays. He's done, you know, he's done more classical type stuff. What he said in interviews is it's like, you know, I love playing all these different places, but, like, I still feel like Sting's my like he's my singer and i think he said more importantly he's my bassist <laughs> like there is a tremendous amount of respect among the three of these members for each other i think that is very clear i would say that was true even from the beginning but it doesn't <laughs> mean that there also wasn't tension i would say it's probably a little more is a little more nuanced maybe than some other band feuds that i could think of i think the respect was always there even through all that stuff and and sometimes you could even see it would be like them kind of joking around and then maybe taking it a little too far. There's some gray in there. There's a little bit of nuance in there that makes it more than just guys being assholes all the time. I don't think that's what it was. 
I think it definitely got that way. <laughs> but these guys are, you know, like anyone else, they're complicated human beings. They don't always do the things that we like, but it's not that they don't have some perspective on it as well. So I guess that's where I'm at. I think I've heard all of them say, like, they really vibed on stage, that they, yes. they all really felt that and fed off of it. And I, th- I think it's part of what kept them going. Like, you know, one of the reasons why Stuart Copeland, like, wanted them to like, oh, I didn't realize that we were breaking up. I thought we we're going to keep going with this because of that. You know, they really did. They really did have a great time on stage together. Even there, there was tension, <laughs> you know. So, well, guys. I think uh, we're all looking forward to talking about the individual albums, getting into the music a little bit more specifically. But for now, I wanted us to share where we can find everybody. And uh, Randy, do you want to start? Is there any any plugs, any social media uh, handles you can give us where people can find you? Absolutely. Uh, first, just Justin and Chris, I just want to thank you for giving me a chance to hang out with you and talk about the police um i i love listening to podcasts and i just had such a great time with you here today uh you know and then similarly i want to offer that same thanks to the larger pop break family uh the the socially distanced podcast was kind enough to uh invite me in at the 11th hour for a recent uh doctor who anniversary special uh they were looking for someone to hop in and defend jody whittaker as the 13th doctor and uh you know, I had a chance to, to hop in. I really appreciated the work she did there. Uh, but, you know, one one Alex Marcus, uh, I think, won the day defending uh, David Tennant. But, you know, if, if there are any Doctor Who fans out there, um, yeah, check that out over on Socially Distanced. I had a lot of fun. And uh, if, if you want to hear me say any more, or maybe you're a former student uh, and you remember uh, how I was able to put you to sleep <laughs> talking in the classroom and you want to find me that... Uh, find me back here. Feel free to come in. Uh, I'm on Twitter.com uh, at Mr. Underscore Elaine, A-L-L-A-I-N. And, uh, you know, th- they haven't yelled at me for having a link over to my, my Blue Sky account there as well. I've been having a good time over there. So I think that's it. Thank you. Well, thank you. And yeah, we're absolutely delighted to have you. And, uh, you know, just knowing your background, I knew that you'd probably be a good host for not just the police, but really any band or really any topic that we could have done, (laughs) just because I know how deep you get into both the analysis and the research part of it. So and uh, I don't know. I mean, I've not having seen every Doctor Who episode, part of me that inclines a little bit more toward Jodie Whittaker, but that might just be because of how I feel about her in general chris is there anywhere that we can find you online uh i'm not really active on social media but i would say check out my former work on the podcast before this one uh where we did where we talked about rush pod work angels there it is <laughs> so if you're a fan of the police and, and uh you're also a fan of rush or you're not as familiar with rush and want to hear more about them and what we think about them but highly recommend going through those. Uh, we do have a fair amount of episodes there, so we have a good backlog for you to look through there uh, where we cover 19 albums. So uh, plenty of it you to look through there if you're a fan of them or just classic rock in general. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just mention you can find Podwork Angels uh, as part of the Pop Break Today feed where you can also find 
this podcast and you can find that feed pretty much anywhere that you find podcasts. Uh, so, uh, so you can also find me on pod archangels and on pod on the rooftops, as Chris mentioned, I also have a website, the cinemaverick.com and I'm on letterbox at the cinemaverick. I do some writing on film. I- I'm very good at doing like an annual list, like a year late, uh, for my website. So you'll find, you know, the best of 2022, uh, coming very soon. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's where you can find me. And uh, I guess I'll just give a quick shout out to Cinema Joe's, the podcast I did with Alex Marcus and Noah France. We're on socials at Cinema Joe's, so you can find our backlog there. So for now, uh, we're going to close it out there. I guess this is our first goodbye, this being the first episode of this podcast. But uh, we'll have many more episodes to come and many more goodbyes as well. <laughs>